we made uh, reference to the Africa Work Team. The Africa Work Team has been serving in Zimbabwe, building a school at the Eden Children's Village, and we're excited about them. Many of us have partnered with individuals on that work team as prayer partners, and uh, we talked about the banquet. The team is returning home tomorrow. So when you pray today for them, pray for safe travels, because sometime today they're going to start boarding the planes, and they're like seven hours ahead of us or something like that, and so it's always hard for me to figure out exactly where they are, but that's coming up, so be sure to pray for the Africa work team, and there will be a great reception for them on the, on the 11th. I want us to turn in our Bibles to the first of the Victorious Christ Trilogy, the Victory of the Christ Trilogy in Luke, the 24th chapter. It's the last chapter of Luke, so those of you who have been a part of this since the beginning of 2016 are saying, is there really hope? Is there really a light at the end of this tunnel? And I'm here to say, we are three weeks away. There's a trilogy of the victory of the Christ. Let me frame it this way. All of us have things that remind us of something in the past. It might be a diploma that's hanging on your wall, and it reminds you of those years that you went to school, and it, it rem it's so much more than just the words on that paper. Or it might be a trophy when you played the sport, when you were involved in it, and you still have that trophy. It's, it's there. It's a reminder. And, and those reminders are about something that once was, it's no longer, it, it's simply unalterable, and it's something back there. It might be a good memory. Cemeteries are really like that. There is what we call tombstones, which has such a negative tone, but really it's a way of remembering, marking the life of a person. And we talked about that again this past week as we mentioned in our prayers. And a tombstone is a marker that says, remember, but it can no longer be altered. It's over. And last week, we ended with the tomb. We ended with the last statements of Jesus on the cross. Afterwards, he was taken down and he was laid in a tomb. And they put a big stone over it and sealed it. And the words, the words of that time is, it's over, it can never be changed again, it simply is unalterable words that describe the day of the resurrection give us a different tone, and they describe not only some things that we need to grasp, but things that we need to understand for our own lives. There are three big words about the resurrection day, three words that describe what happened that change that negative, dis discouraging, deflated moment of putting them in the tomb. When things cannot be changed anymore, it's over. And the first word is unchangeable. In this passage, the women, verse 1, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They had found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? 
He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered the word. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven. And to all the others, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. The women that morning went because it was their job. It was the family's job to act as morticians. He died on a Friday, and in custom of, of the Jewish law, they did nothing on Saturday. So early, as early as they could on Sunday morning, the sun was rising, they got up, and they went to do their job. They went to with the oils and the spices, and they were going to embalm him, essentially. Well, at least their version of it. Not the same as what we do today. And they expected that the tomb which certified the unalterable fact of death, by the third day, it was certified that he was going to be still dead, and they expected nothing. Because you don't Consider it changeable. I mean, once the tomb is there, it becomes part of the past. It is unchangeable. And they went there thinking nothing can be changed. It's a certified matter. They had put their hopes in this man. They had trusted that he might be the one that would change everything for their lives. But it's now over. And it was wonderful while he was here. People were fed. People were healed. It seemed as if the whole nation could have risen behind him and taken a new day, but it is certifiably over. It's in the past. And it's unchangeable. It's unchangeable. And secondly, then, they they came and they found something that was immovable. There was a stone placed, and the way they, they they closed up a tomb is they would have a fairly heavy stone that could be rolled, and right at the entrance of the tomb would be like a little wedge. It would dip down. So when the the stone was rolled over, it would just clunk down in it. That would close it up. It would require some heroics, some special extreme measures to pry up that thing and get it out. And the only people that might do that were grave robbers, and the only reason they would rob a grave is if somebody with a great wealth might have been buried there and with him some of his favorite or her favorite treasures. The tombs of the queens and the kings were often robbed, but it was not an easy task. But because they knew that grave robbers did exist, those who were in charge says, you know what, those fishermen, those disciples, uh, they, they are wily people. And they have some strength. They might come in the night and steal his body. And so the authorities of the Jews said to the Roman army, said, put a seal on it, a Roman seal. Now, Roman seal was not a little stamp. It was not just a matter of painting something on it. It was a guard of six to eight Roman militiamen who were trained to kill. These were the toughest people on the planet at the time. They were the ones that could take over anything. 
they had been they had conquered the known world and these six to eight Roman mili military men they could guard it for the night it was immovable the stone would not budge without extreme measures force and willpower it was simply not going to be done naturally the women wondered now how we're so early who are we going to find that can get this thing up out of its little cavity there and bring it back up so we can get in there and do our job. Well, they, they were counting on the soldiers to do that for them. And they came and they found that the stone had been rolled away, the guards had fled the scene, and the tomb was open. That in itself didn't make sense. And they looked in there and they thought, this is tragic. Worse than losing him, now somebody has managed to steal him. We can't even do him any honor. And it's a total tragedy. Now, Luke, the physician, would say things very scientifically. Matter of fact, he said they were wondering about this. But some of the other gospel writers said they were grieving. They were crying. It was an awful situation. And then something unlikely happened. Something unlikely. There's your three big words. Unchangeable, immovable, and unlikely. Something unlikely. For They did not expect a resurrection. That was beyond unlikely. Neither did they expect that God might show up or say something that would change everything. But there were two men who were easily identified as angels. You, if you met an angel, you would know the difference between your best friend and an angel. The angel would be frightening, and they were frightened. And some angels. That's unlikely. That's unlikely. It just doesn't happen. And they explained, and they reminded them, and those angels spoke specifically about their situation. They said, when you return to the eleven, that means they knew that Judas had already left their company, and they couldn't they couldn't argue with the fact that these beings knew something very specific. They weren't just hallucinating because they mentioned the names of three, which is always the number that you need to establish a matter in court. Three witnesses. And they said there were others yet too. And you know, one person can come and be deluded, have a, have a hallucination or have some sort of vision that is unique to that person, but there were three named witnesses and others, all who said, yes, this is what we saw. This was not an illusion. They were not just deluded in that moment. And these angels reminded them, here's what happened. Do you remember what he said about dying at the hands of sinners and rising again? Do you remember that? This is what's happened, and you're to go back and tell the other 11 disciples and that is so unlikely, but they couldn't deny it. It simply is what occurred. They would go to the other disciples, and it may have taken them about a half hour to walk over to the tomb. They were running back, no doubt. And they were so excited, they began to talk in excited tones. And you know how, well, you know how men are. You know, you know how men are. They just thought, these women... What they're saying is so unlikely. It doesn't make any sense. And they're just all jabbering all at one time. That's what would happen. 
And that's what did happen. They just thought all these women got all excited. They got out of bed too early, you know. That's what they were thinking, except one guy. One guy, his name is Peter. Peter had done something that, with Jesus' death, had become entombed in the past, and it was regrettable. You see, Peter was one of the closest to Jesus. He was one of the three that went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was one of the three that, that said to him, Hey, I'd like to be right there with you. I'll protect you. I'll never leave you. And then what happened? On the day Jesus was arrested, he fled. And he followed Jesus at a distance to where he would go on trial. And he stood out in the courtyard. You remember us talking about this a few weeks ago. Stood in the courtyard, able to see what was going inside the house where Jesus was on this, this uh, kangaroo court trial. And out in the courtyard... A servant girl, a young servant girl, pushes him a little bit and says, Hey, you are with that man. Oh, I don't even know him, Peter said. And he betrayed his friend in a different way than Judas did. He denied even knowing him. I mean, he disowned him. There's nothing worse, nothing that would describe sin more than when you have a friend that you could say, I, I can count on you thick and thin, and that person in another setting somewhere else denies even knowing you. Nothing feels worse than that. And Peter knew that he had done it. And then he, he did it again and again. Three times Peter disowned Jesus. And then Jesus and Peter met their eyes. They caught each other in a glance, in, in a, just in a glimpse and looking at each other and their eyes met. And Peter realized what he had just done to his friend. And he went out, and it says he wept bitterly. Oh, how he would have loved to have heard then Jesus be able to say to him, I forgive you. But Jesus, Peter, kept his distance. Guilt does that. When you are guilty of something, you tend to avoid it. You tend to avoid the person, avoid that situation. You maintain a distance. And then Jesus dies and I can tell you, I have seen people hovering over a brother, a sister, a family member, and wishing that they could hear another word, a word like, I love you, because they were never certain. I forgive you, because they knew of all the conflict that had happened. And Peter, like that person hovering over the body, would not hear it. Peter was the only one. And... There was the tomb of his past failure. The tomb of his past failure and his guilt. And it cannot change. It cannot change. That's because it's over. The words, I forgive you, cannot be spoken. And Peter so wanted to be forgiven, but no, it's in there. It's a tomb now. Every time he'd be reminded of a by a cross, he'd be reminded of Christ and he'd be reminded of how he failed his friend. Every time he walked down that road, he would be reminded and there was this tomb in his memory. And there's something that we find is immovable. We find there's one of two things that when we have something in our past that reminds us of our failure, we find that there's an immovable stone of people who won't forget. They never forget. 
And if you hang around people who knew you then, they will remind you over and over again, and they won't let you get out. Maybe you managed like Peter. Peter was the only one. And so he kept it a secret that he could never overlook. You see, none of the other 11 were there. And so he joined the other 11, but he was strangely quiet. He had this secret. He couldn't tell anybody because how do you tell your other friends that you just betrayed your comment? How do you do that? And so he held this secret, this black hole, this thing that you can never talk about. You hope no one discovers it. It's this black hole. And nothing could be done about it because Jesus was dead. He could never hear the words, I forgive you. It was an immovable stone in his life. That black hole, you can't talk about it. You don't want other people to identify you by what you once did. So you keep it a secret. And when he heard those ladies say, the tomb is empty, I don't know if he was excited or frightened. Scared that something may have happened, that somehow he'd have to face this all over again. But he was the first one who ran out. And you know what? Something unlikely happened. Something unlikely happened because Jesus had risen. And just a few days later, Peter would hear the words, I forgive you. It was in a dramatic moment that I don't have time to tell. But it's unlikely. But God forgave Peter to the core. And he forgives to the core so that no one can take away or change who we become. When you are forgiven to the core, you can talk about the past again. Until you are forgiven, you hide the past. And Peter began to talk about the past. He became the one who said, this is who I was, but I am no longer. I was forgiven because Jesus rose again. And because Jesus is alive, he could say those words to Peter that he needed to hear. I forgive you. And it changed the course of Peter's life. When you hear Jesus, who's alive, to tell you, I forgive you, it changes who you are. You can talk about the past differently because you've heard the words, I forgive you. I forgive you. Sometimes we make tombs of things that we think are unchangeable. Too many harsh words have been spoken in family life, and we think it's ruined, it's over, it's in the past, it can no longer have life, it's dead, and we entomb it, and we say that marriage is over, the family is over, I don't want to ever talk about it again. Or there are so many disappointments that we cannot overlook, and we entomb that, and say that is the past, and the only way to get out of it is to just put it behind me. And we think the marriage is dead. We think something, some relationship is dead. And you know what? Sometimes people with marriage difficulties have said to me, it's dead, it's over, we're going to go to court. And I said, you know what? That marriage may have died, but you don't have to change marriage partners to have a new marriage. Jesus rose again, and so anything can be made new. Anything can be made new, including who you are. We say, well, I, I, I cannot change. It's immovable. I'm always going to be this way. This 
you know, like there's this afterlife of words that have been spoken, those harsh words that continue. You know, once you say a word, it just has this afterlife. And, you know, there's no way it, it just uses that and, and we, we cannot do anything. And finally, we say, you know what, this is just who I am. I've always been this way. Take me the way I am or forget it. As though we don't want the change. And it's like we be, this becomes an immovable object that we cannot, I can't change. I can't do anything about it. It's just who I am. Well, the stone couldn't be moved either. And it was. God did it. And there's a change that happened. And you know what? The risen Christ comes and says, not only do I forgive, but I can transform. And he has done that over and over in people's lives who you met. The unlikely happens. God can make healthy and beautiful what seemed damaged and wasted. And he does so. He did that for Peter. He has done that for many of us. He's done that for many marriages, done that for many families. God can do it when we say, I'm coming to him. I'm, I'm going to believe you, Lord Jesus. He does that because this is who God is. He moves stones. He does what is unlikely. And you know what? Pretty soon you'll be saying, God did this because there is no other good explanation except Jesus rose from the dead and therefore I believe he can change me. And he has. That's the invitation. The first part of the trilogy of the risen Christ is that nothing is really unchangeable. Nothing is really unmovable. And nothing is unlikely because God can say to you today, I forgive you can transform you. That's what happened. That's what happened at that tomb. Would you like that kind of a change? It may be a change that you've always wanted and I thought there's no hope. I'm just this who I am and I'm going to keep it a secret. No one's going to know except those who are so close to me that, that they'll always find out. Or maybe a change that you've always wished and you just say, oh, that's just who I am. Just accept me. And that's not really who you want to be. Would you receive what Jesus can do? Stand with me if you would. And let's pray together. And Father, I thank you that even now, what you have done on the cross and in the resurrection is made true for us. We don't have to keep that secret, that black hole in our life and just shudder every time we're reminded of it. Every time somebody reminds us of a person or reminds us of a situation, Father, change that. We want to hear the words, I forgive you. And now, Father, I pray that we would not hold back, but that we'd respond to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.